that's me, <laughs> about three years old there. And um, all the pictures in that video are uh, uh, victims of childhood sexual abuse, and I asked them to send in pictures of the time they were being abused. So you can see there were lots of ages from babies, you know, to a little bit older children. But um, this is about the, the time I had my first memory, so, but I think my abuse started even before this. So just if you could leave that up there, would that be okay, Brian? Okay, great. Okay, so my name is Janice, and uh, Janice Wade. I've been a Christian for 27 years. That's a miracle unto itself. <laughs> Makes me sound old, too, doesn't it? Um, I've been married 22 years, miracle number two. Uh, I come from generations of divorce. My mom's been married three times, my dad twice. Um, and I was also one on a campus ministry at SAUE. So campus ministries have a really special place in my heart. Um, I am a counselor. I'm licensed. Um, but last but not least, I'm a wounded heart. I was sexually abused as a child, and some of you know that my father was my sexual abuser. And as far back as I can remember, um, he's been abusing me. My mom and dad got a divorce. I was very young, and I would, of course, do the weekend visits. And um, it probably started around then. Um, and even before my memory started, um, I think I was being abused because I was always scared of him. I was terrified to be alone with him at all times. Um, one of my first memories with my dad is waking up alone um, with him one morning. We had just drove in from Florida, and we were staying with some friends. You know, we drove in really late. They let us sleep in their spare bedroom, and I woke up and realized um, that my brother was awake, and the ba- my mom and the baby were all up, and I was alone. And he was in the bed, and uh, whew, I, I just was immediately terrified. And like little kids, I just closed my eyes again and act like I was sleeping, knowing, you know, if I can't see him, he can't see me. And of course, you know, I didn't fool my dad. And uh, within a few minutes, he told me to get in bed with him. And he asked me to perform a sexual act on him. And I, I knew what he was talking about. So that was four years old, and I knew what sex was, and I was already experienced, and I was terrified. And life really was dark when I was alone with my dad. And when I was asked to do this class, um, it was originally, or I think it's try to help us as ministers and leaders and, and people that work in the church or reach out, and honestly, that's every Christian we're all called to reach out to people and make a difference, um, to try to help others help people like me, like the, the kids in the video. Um, and I think we have this huge responsibility to reach out, yet we, we really try to ignore it. We, we don't want to think about it, and there's lots of reasons for that, of course. Um, but we have a calling, all of us, not just me, to reach out and preach this message of reconciliation. And we're all called to be those ministers. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. Why? 
because the scripture goes on to say, because he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And why are to be rec- we're to be reconciled? So we can do what? Help others be reconciled. So that huge responsibility is laid on us, and it's appealing, it's calling us. And that appeal is being made to us to go out. And I know more than probably anybody how terrible and scary that feels. We, we don't want to deal with it. I didn't want to admit anything. And some of you heard my testimony Thursday, which I won't go into all that again. But it was absolutely something I was never going to do. Never. And I, some of you know me. I'm very stubborn. And I say no. I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. You cannot talk me into it. Well, God, of course, can. And so in John, John 10, 14 through 15, I just think about how they describe Jesus there. And how he's this shepherd that knows his flock and they know him. And I just think about as as people in the church that know the truth, we have to know what is going on in the world. We need to know what's going on in our congregations. And we don't. We don't know what's going on. And if you think you do, you don't. I'm sorry. So what do we need to know? And the video that... um, Devin, Durbin, and Mariva Vaughn put together for me. I thought it was excellent, so I thought they did a great job. They did that last minute, too. Um, You saw the stats and everything in there. But Dan Allender actually believes that it's even higher. Um, He believes that 38% of all girls will be, 38% of girls will be abused by the time they're 18. That's like two out of five. And so it's higher than one in four. And, and we know because it's very hard to correct, you know, collect that data. It goes unreported so much. And there's several articles in Christianity Today and Wineskins that speak about the numbers being equal in the church as well as in the world. So we like to think we're protected because we're in the church. I know I did. Once I got into the church, I was like, yes, now I'm never going to be hurt again. And I can move on and I don't have to deal with this. Um, but the numbers are the same, and it's not just the Catholic Church either. You know, that's kind of how we tend to view it. The Catholic Church is where all the pedophiles are. I'm, I'm sorry, they're not. Um, and they've done articles that the numbers and percentages are equal across denominations. So I wanted to first start with what are some common ways that we deal with it that are really ineffective. And just so that we can look at what we're doing that's not working, and I want to start by saying I don't think it's because we're bad people. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not trying to do these bad things or be ineffective. But there's three things that we tend to do kind of by default, and we have to be aware of them so that we can be proactive. And because we're going to just naturally do them. Okay, so number one is to deny it. What does that look like? 
Oh, I don't think it happens that much. That video was great, but not really. You know, she doesn't know what she's talking about, um, at least not in the church. Well, okay, maybe not. Maybe it's in the church, but it's not in my congregation. There's not that many people. Um, there's that one, that one woman we know, but nobody else. It does happen. It happens in your church, your town, your neighborhood. Um, the stats show that we have many victims in this room. So I don't know how many people are in here, like 50 or something. So I don't know. I can't add or so I don't know. But, so if there's, if there's more than a fourth of you, more, it's more than a third, actually, of, in this room have been abused. Don't worry. I want to ask you to stand up. So, um, so, you know, we say things like, but that's such a nice family. I'm, oh, that's, that's just sad. I'm so, that's shocking. But he's a leader in the community. Or, well, she seems really put together. I, that couldn't have happened. What was that? <laughs> Ding. Time's up. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I laugh inappropriately sometimes. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, I keep breathing in this thing. Ooh, I gotta take this down. I'm gonna hold it. All right, is that okay? All right. So he's a leader in the community. She seems so together, and that that couldn't have happened to her, or it couldn't have happened by her, right? Women can abuse too. Do I just need a handheld? Yeah, and it's so like. Ugh. Thank you. All right. You got this muted? Okay, cool. Thank you for being patient. Um, or how about this one? I don't want to be that no, that nosy person. I don't want to upset anybody. Or who am I to ask? I'm not going to say anything. But who are you not to ask? If we're leaders, followers of Christ, then you are the person to ask. Did Christ say something? Did he help the wounded? I have a very good friend who's an elder in a church of Christ. He's so supportive of my ministry, which can be rare, okay? And um, he sends people to me, and we talk, and really a great guy, great heart. He always asks me questions. And, one, and his name's not John. So, But one time he was talking to me, he said, Man, Janice, I just admire your work, and... You're really making a difference, and I just wish we could have something like that here, but I don't think we could handle it. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, you start having ministries like that, and a lot of people, you know, would come in, which that's good, but then I don't think we have the training here or the skills or the people to take them in. You know, they would all come in, and we wouldn't know what to do with them. And I said, well, John, I understand if you're not ready for outreach, but they're already here. You probably sit next to them every Sunday. So if you're not ready for this big influx of people, can you at least have something for the people that are already here so they don't leave? And he, he was stunned. And he was like, I don't know if I believe that. And I'm like, have you ever even asked? No. Well, if you don't... I mean, most of the time when I ask, I'm going to be honest with you, most people say, no, that never happened to me. If you don't ask, they're not going to tell you no matter what. And so we're going to lose people that are already in our church. 
I'm not even talking about, oh, have a ministry and reach the inner city. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're there. And a lot of victims aren't inner city. They're not. They're small town, big town, all of them. And I'm going to go ahead and just apologize a little bit. I'm so, <laughs> I know this isn't pleasant at all, and I'm not... I feel like Patrick Mead. I'm not trying to be controversial. He always says that. I'm really, I'm really not. It's, but it's, it's the, it's the truth. And I know because a lot of the people from your churches get my number somehow and call me. I always have to answer my phone. There'll be a crazy amount of different area codes on my phone. You know, you ignore those because they're bill collectors or whatever. I can't. I have to answer them. And listen, you know, and make sure that I tell people, leave a voicemail. Leave a voicemail. I get calls. I've gotten calls from out of the country because they have nothing. They have nobody to talk to. So the first way is to deny it. Do the math. Look around. There's a lot of victims right here at this workshop. You guys want to guess how many people came up to me after my testimony Thursday? How many people? And we're just, that was just one aspect. There was two other testimonies. I mean, people were surrounding us because they're hurting. And I'm talking little kids to 70-year-old women. So that's number one. Deny it. Stop denying it. It's not going to make it go away. Number two is diminish it. Well, okay, I know it happens, but is it really that big of a deal? I mean, it's in the past. We really need to get over this. You know what? You're a new creation in Christ, and you need to move on. You have all the healing you need from Jesus. Jesus understands what you've went through, Janice. Move on. Someone literally said that to me. What message do you think that gave me? That they don't want to hear my story. They don't want me to talk about it. They want to take this huge part of my life and just just diminish it and put it over here and then take this other part of me, the good part, and use that. That's completely against any scripture I've read with, with Jesus and all the other epistles. It's true that it takes a process to heal. And we are new in Christ. Amen? I wouldn't even, I would, I, there's no talent where I'd be. And, but it doesn't just happen like you go in the water, come up, and you're like, ding, sparkly clean and have no issues. You guys know this. You know yourselves. I mean, did you guys just come up out of the water and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I got everything together. Not at all. And this process doesn't just take time but it needs help from other people. I wouldn't be here without other people. Without other surrendered, die-to-yourself Christians, I wouldn't have gone to church. I wouldn't have stayed at church. I definitely wouldn't have gotten help or gone to counseling. I wouldn't have gotten better. If I just relied on getting in the water and coming up and nobody helped me, I wouldn't have stuck around. I, I wouldn't have thought they wanted me to stick around. Abuse cuts straight to the heart and the core of who we are. And because it often happens when we're children, 
It breaks that foundation of trust, breaks that foundation of relationships, that love, hope, and faith are destroyed, and children, those children, their love, hope, and faith was destroyed. It's like they didn't even get to start life yet. And those foundational things that happen is what we build our life on. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to hope. I didn't have faith in anything. It changes us completely. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our body. There are studies that actually show that it changes how we think and perceive things. There are are studies on children who have been traumatized, not just sexually, any kind of trauma. And they've done x-rays, or I guess it's not an x-ray. What's the thing on your brain? CAT scan? An MRI, thank you. Um, They've done MRIs on their brain, and the brain of a traumatized child looks different than the brain of a non-traumatized child. And they're seeing now that they process information completely different. There's also some more recent studies, which I think this is pretty interesting, looking into links between trauma and fibromyalgia, which that's just soared, right? I mean, who even heard of that before? People didn't even believe it existed. They're like, I don't know why you're giving it a name. You're, you're just hurting all the time or lazy or something. You know, they're like, you don't have fibromyalgia. But now we know it's real. Rheumatoid arthritis is linked to trauma. Degenerative disc disease. I'm in a counseling office. Anytime somebody tells me they have degenerative disc disease, I ask them, have you been sexually traumatized? So far... It's only been about two years I've asked. Everyone has said yes. Every single person, male and female, say, yeah, how'd you know that? Because they have degenerative disc disease. And they're seeing all these autoimmune disorders that are just skyrocketing. They think they're linked. I'm not saying caused, but linked or correlated to sexual trauma. It damages your whole being. Every part, mind, heart, soul, your body, it breaks us down. People don't just get over it. You can't just get over it. It damages all parts of us. I hated everybody, myself, and I was convinced that something was really deeply wrong with me. Not just like something happened to me. You understand the difference? I wasn't ashamed of what happened to me as much as who I was born as. I thought it was inherently damaged. I mean, I'd I'd have to be, right? Why would my father do that to me? And this view that I was damaged was only reinforced by the other abusers as I got older. Because there's something about being abused that every molester and pedophile can see in you, and then they come after you. I think it's Satan. Satan. I I do. I think there's something that he gives those people a way to see you and then come after you. I've had so many abusers. I've lost count. And of all ages. It damaged, like I said, my whole being, my personality, my physical appearance, my health, my choices, my thoughts, words, how I treated other people, my soul. And although I've healed significantly, praise God... I will never just be over it. Never. It's a part of my life. It's a part of who I am. And as people who are reaching those, and those of you in here have been abused, you need to know you're not going to just get through this by yourself. You're not. 
Jeremiah 8, 11. The band, they bandage the wounds of my people as if they were not very deep. Peace, peace, they say, but there isn't any peace. These people, me, you, if you've been abused, you have no peace. And then in the church, we wonder why they act the way they do. We're like, what is wrong with her? They have no peace. The International Children's Bible says the same verse. They try to heal my people's serious injuries as if they were small wounds. They say, it's all right. It's all right. But really, it's not all right. Doesn't that sound like something we've said to people? It's going to be okay. You're okay. And like I said, I don't, I don't think it's because we're bad. I think we're attempting to make them feel better. We want to comfort them and say, you know, I love you. You're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. But do you understand that you can't put a small bandage, a Band-Aid on a severed limb and tell somebody, be grateful, you're healed, you have Jesus now. You can't do it. They have missing parts. They feel like they're chopped to little pieces. And we're wanting to just, here you go. Praise God, but you're healed. When I would hear that, I thought, oh, no. One, what if they knew I wasn't? They would run screaming the other direction. Abandonment is a huge issue. And two, I thought, they're so dumb. Like, I'm, I know that's rude, but I did. I thought, they're not, there's something wrong with them. Like, they're not, why don't they see this? Well, that was many years ago. I was a different person, and I, I get it now. We're compassionate, loving people that feel things deeply, and when somebody hurts that we care about, it wrecks us. You know, Aiden gets on stage with me, which is like, you can't even write that. You know, that kid can, I'm like, Aiden, what are you doing up here? Craig was like, I was afraid he was going to ask you questions. <laughs> like that sounds about right actually I'm grateful and so but I mean his face though because I heard the steps and I looked and I'm like what's he doing up here and then I saw his face and it was just crumbling it was like and oh (laughs) thank god he came towards the end because I was not gonna make it I did like this much I was like oh no and I'm and then and I was telling Robert person after person and what stuck out to me is kids that all these kids with special needs have been coming up to me all week and they've been loving on me and just blessing me and you know some of them have Asperger's or autism you know um, different learning developmental disabilities and and then it's so neat because they're like oh you know they're feeling on me and then they're like but you need to keep it up you need to do this and I'm like okay yes (laughs) I will, (laughs) you know, and I mean, every one of them are just like, you don't stop. You don't stop telling that story. There are a lot of people here that need you. And I'm like, yes, sir. I will keep telling that story. Yeah. It was really challenging. (laughs) Um, Your response to these people is vital. Let's look at Tamar in second Samuel 13, 20. You guys know the story, right? With Tamar. And so she gets raped, and she runs to her brother, Absalom, which they're very close. Absalom loved Tamar. You know what happens later, you know. 
And he, I mean, he killed the man later. And so her brother Absalom's response, though, to her rape is this. And this is the Living Bible in Second Samuel thirteen twenty. Don't be so upset. It's all in the family anyway. Nothing to worry about. Okay. And then, how does Tamar live the rest of her life? Do you guys remember? A desolate woman in her brother's quarters. She never gets married. She never has children. She locks herself away and grieves the rest of her life. Absalom's response, not just the rape, was a huge betrayal to her. She never recovered from it. So when those people run to us, let's not say there's nothing to worry about. Okay? We can tell them, I'm here. I'm here. And we can give them hope. You guys understand. So it's really important for us to realize there's three parts to abuse, not just one. There's three betrayals. The first one's the environment that the child grows up in. It tends to be it tends to lack emotional nourishment, which makes sense. And that lack of emotional nourishment makes children susceptible to abuse. Dan Allender compares it to a starving child. And then the pedophile offers them something to eat that's poison. And they know it's bad, but when you're starving, you'll eat it. The second part is the actual abuse act itself. And the third one is the response of the non-offending parent or other people. It's this diminishment or flat denial when someone tells their secret. It feels like they're being abused all over again. I know it did for me, and I know some of you don't know me, but that is what I'm told every time someone tells me their story. I've been doing Wounded Hearts since 95, was it 21 years? Is that right? Every person in, in I had a private practice for a while, now I work for a health center, the classes in church, I'm talking in and out of church, every person said, and then I told so-and-so, and they told me never to repeat again, or didn't believe me, or they tried to, you know, whatever it was, don't worry, it's all in the family. Peace, peace, it'll be all right. And that's the thing that destroys them. That's the bitterness that they cannot get over. It leads them to desolate lives like Tamar. So you need to think about how you're going to respond. Because it's, if, it's probably going to happen. It's going to be brought to you at some time. Be ready. Don't add to the hurt. That's, that's tough to say. That's tough to hear. And the last most common but ineffective response is to enable it. This one's harder to recognize, right? Because we, we love them and we're like, oh, that poor thing, she just can't help it. You know, that one thing happened to her when she was a kid. So she, you know, she can't help it. This is just another form of ignoring the problem. We feed the lie that the victim is always going to be a victim. They're always going to be weak. We're telling them that it's hopeless to change. 
And when we enable anybody in our lives, it gives the subtle or not so subtle message that they're beyond repair, that they're beyond hope. Just ugh, don't, don't. It's okay. Just let her do it. And all three of these common but ineffective responses are destructive. They're not just neutral. It actually is part of Satan's plan. He wants to keep victims, victims. God's plan is that we overcome. And I know you're here for God's plan. You're, you're not in this class because, you know, I'm Bob Goff. Yay! You know, that's not why you're here. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is tough. I'm surprised there's as many as there are, honestly. You're not here for your comfort. I'm not here for my comfort. I'm sweating right now. If I catch on fire because this microphone short circuits, you'll know what's wrong. <laughs> so, um, and the, here's, here's the thing, and I don't know if it's encouraging or challenging, but we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just have to give all we have. It's about being faithful and obedient. Just like that lesson about the widow's might, that really challenged me. She didn't have much, but she gave it all. And I thought, oh, man, I don't want to give what I have. This is, ugh. But this is what I have, so I have to give it. So give what you have. We're called to be all things to all people, to put ourselves out there, to push ourselves beyond our comfort. And I hope that's why each of you are here. I know that's why I'm here. It's not because I'm comfortable. So what do we do? First, we have to learn to recognize the signs of the wounded heart. And I'm going to go through this pretty quick. This is all from Dan Allender, the wounded heart book for survivors of sexual abuse. Because just like the National Heart Association, we have to look for warning signs, right, for a heart attack. And there's warning signs for wounded hearts, too. And so the the National Heart Association says there's two main problems. One is that the heart affects all parts of the body, right? All the symptoms are like jaw, neck, arm, stomach, lungs. It affects everything. It doesn't isolate. Second, people wait way too long to get help. So... In other words, a heart, a wounded heart, affects the whole body. It doesn't just isolate. It affects all of us, the whole body. The whole body individually, right? My heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the whole body, the church. And oftentimes we wait too long to get help. So with these warning signs, again, a caution. Not everybody that has jaw pain, arm pain, you know, racing chest is having a heart attack. So just like people, you know, that have symptoms of a heart attack, it doesn't mean you're always having a heart attack. It could be a panic attack or pleurisy or something. Wounded hearts, not all people that have these secondary symptoms are going to be sexually abused. But it's enough information to get you involved, right? To ask questions, to investigate. You don't just ignore the symptoms when someone clenches their chest and grabs their arm. 
I mean, do you? You go, oh, walk it off. It's a panic attack. You're like, are you okay? I, my husband has one of these probably about every year. I'm serious. He has heart problems, and he's always scaring everybody to death. And I know it's, I know what to do because I've done it for 10 years, but everybody's like, ah, you know, freaking out. But I don't just go, oh, Tom, it's probably just a panic attack. Calm down. Get up. No, I'm like, call an ambulance, 911. You know, we have it, we have it. Get, get in the car, whoop, off we go to an expert. So get involved and ask questions when you see these things. They're called secondary symptoms, and Mariva listed for me. Depression, sexual dysfunctions, eating disorders, low self-esteem, addictions and compulsions, physical complaints, like somebody's always hurting, and self-destructive behaviors. And that includes not just cutting... But extreme piercing and tattooing. I know I'm probably upsetting every young person here. (laughs) But that is a form of self-mutilation. It's popular now. And I'm not saying it's wrong necessarily to get a tattoo or piercing. I'm not going to have that discussion. What I'm saying is when I see somebody covered, boom, 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 boom. I ask them, there's something happened to you? And... Guess what? A lot of times the answer is yes. So get involved. Don't ignore it. These first signs that something wrong, is they're the signs that are going to be seen. You're not going to see what happened to them when they were four. They're the outward signs that something's going on on the inside. Is the problems that bring them to counseling or to the class. And it causes enough discomfort for people to want to change. But guess what? It also causes discomfort for who else? Us. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. You need to go talk to somebody else. And so then I get a call from New Jersey, Florida, Michigan, Brazil. That's true. So the second one is style of relating. The typical way that people interact with one another. The way they want to be seen. Now look, all of us... You know, especially when we're new to something, we put on our, our best behavior. We put on that personality. But we, these people, it's like their life depends on it. Their life depends on you seeing them a certain way. And if you don't see them that way, they panic and run. And you'll see them. You'll be like, something's not quite right. I can't put my finger on it. I like them. I love them. But they're not connecting. Relationships are, ugh, they're not growing. And there's always a problem. They're always protecting themselves, always defensive. They, they always set themselves apart somehow. The symptoms of a poor self-image are most often unseen, right? But they can be inferred by observing how people relate to one another. You can see that. And there's lots of different styles. The good girl, nice guy, right? They don't want to make waves, high priority in helping people. They keep peace, avoid conflict. They're the people pleasers. They're secretly, furiously angry, but will never admit it. They say things like, no, I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just really, 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 really disappointed and frustrated. And I'm like, that's called anger. They're like, no, no, it isn't. It's disappointment. I'm like, okay. The tough girl and the tough guy. They're the take charge, task oriented, really competent, really sarcastic, loses temper really easily. They don't trust compliments, opinionated. The women don't cry. The men are insensitive. 
and both can be verbally aggressive. They tend to be likable. You don't want to upset them, though. The party girl and the player, right? That's the, they're really irresponsible. The men are super charming. You know, they lose interest in a woman once they got her. They get easily hurt. They take things out of context. And so when you're looking for these ways in people, you need to ask yourself, I need to start looking. I need to start investigating closer. What's going on? Why can't they connect? Why can't they be real? Why are they angry all the time? Why do they always mishear what I'm saying? So a common element for wounded hearts is the presence of a strong self-hatred. And that's number three. You've got to look for self-contempt. They hate themselves. They put themselves down. They sabotage their lives constantly. And that self-hatred or self-contempt comes from the fact that we think we're to blame. We tend to think at least some part of the abuse is my fault because my body responded to being touched. And our bodies are made to react to that touch and stimulation. Therefore, the, the abuse starts this war within us, and we hate ourselves. So why look for the signs? Because those signs are usually hiding the shame that is the heart of the issue. And it helps keep them hidden. And I was convinced I was the problem, that something was wrong with me, and I was going to hide forever. So when those people hide from you, you have to be bold enough to go look for them. And it wasn't until I came to to the church that I found people that didn't let me drive them away, didn't let me keep them in at arm's length. They stuck by my side. They didn't ignore my pain. They didn't enable me. Okay, they were patient, patient and they pushed me towards God. They pushed me towards living that way. They drove me to and from counseling because I, I was too hysterical to drive sometimes. And they, they helped me understand and accept that I wasn't to blame, that it's ridiculous to blame those children, that little girl, for what a 24-year-old did to her. That's what I thought already. So we have to do CPR. Real quick, be compassionate, be prepared, and be resilient. Sexual abuse does not excuse a behavior, but it does explain it. And I don't ever want to excuse behaviors, but I want to have a sense of compassion, that we're able to look beyond the surface and see the hurts, see their heart. Don't enable them, but don't go to the other extreme. Compassion causes us to have a different perception of people. And Stephen Covey tells of this story. You guys probably read it in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People about this man who gets on the subway and his kids are out of control bonkers and people are grumbling and really, you know, looking at each other and the dad, they're tearing stuff up and knocking things out of people's hands and the dad's just sitting there ignoring the whole thing. And they're like, what is wrong with this? So Stephen Covey finally gets sick of it, walks over and goes, hey, I'm sorry, but you, you got to get your kids. Like, they can't just run around. you, you got to do something. And he looks up, and Stephen Covey has tears in his eyes, and he says, um, what? I'm sorry. I just came back from the hospital. My wife just died an hour ago, and I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And I guess they don't either. And as the subway heard that conversation, one by one, they picked up all the kids, loved on them, told them stories, gave them snacks. 
that compassion changed the perception of that family. They saw the hurt and went, oh, that's what's going on. It didn't excuse the behavior, but do you see the difference there? We all hurt. We're part of a body. And when one hurts, we all hurt. We're all in this together. And as leaders, as followers of Christ, we have to be compassionate and be willing to look at every person as that little boy or little girl. Because when you're abused, that's where you get stuck at that age. I was stuck at this age for a very long time. I threw temper tantrums. I wanted my way all the time. I cried easily. I pouted. I stuck my tongue out. That's true. I'd be a grown woman going, sticking my tongue out of people. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Be compassionate. Ask questions. Number two, be prepared. You have to deal with your problems first. That is the first way to be prepared. Deal with you. If you don't, in Matthew 7, Jesus calls you what? A hypocrite. If you're trying to get that speck of sawdust out and that plank is sticking out your own eye, he calls you a hypocrite. We can't help somebody until we get help for ourselves. And people that come into our church, they know hypocrites that quickly. They're already looking for them. It doesn't take the spiritually minded, mature person to go, I know who the fake people here are. Nope, I knew immediately. Jesus doesn't want us to be hypocrites, but he also does, he wants us to be able to see clearly. Doesn't that, that's what that verse says. So you can see clearly to remove the speck out of their eye. When we work with people's hearts, you have to have good eyesight. We don't want to go in half blind, right? So take that plank out. But you need to understand something. This scripture is not talking about having a lack of skill. That scripture isn't learn a ton more, don't ever say anything until you become an eye surgeon. Then remove the speck. It's saying quit being a hypocrite. Deal with your stuff first. And then help your brother. I'm not effective because of my skills. I'm effective because of my willingness to be vulnerable and willingness to get help for myself. So what are your heart problems? What do you need healing from? What plank do you need removed? Be willing. You can't lead where you haven't gone. So love and protection are opposites. Right? Love pursues what's best for others, even if it costs something to you. That's Jesus. Self-protection is, nope, I'm going to do what seems best for me, even if it costs you. And as leaders, we say we're committed to loving the lost and the wounded. But if we're not dealing, if we're not willing to be vulnerable and put our walls down, if, then we're committed to self-protection. And you can't love and self-protect at the same time. And I am out of time. <laughs> so deepen the knowledge and wisdom you guys know you ask God. You ask God for wisdom, James 1, five. You search the scriptures. You guys know this stuff. And you walk with the wise. And when you walk with the wise, don't act like you know more than them. That happens a lot. People are like, Janice, let me ask you this question. I'll answer them and go, no, that's not going to work. Okay. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm like, maybe I I don't know all the answers, but why are you asking me if you're going to start debating me? Does that make sense? It's like we ask people and then we're like, no, thanks. So 
Be compassionate, be prepared, and then finally, be resilient. That's the R. This is going to be a fight. You're going to get exhausted. The healing process is not easy. How do those children that you saw get over this easily? How do they just get over it? They're not. Denying, diminishing, and enabling is not going to change the truth. People are not going to just get over it, and they're not going to do it alone. So who is going to help them? I, I want to. I can't do it by myself. I can't do anything by myself. I didn't write this lesson by myself. <laughs> I've been joking all week. It takes a village for Janice to do a lesson, because it does. <laughs> so many people help put this together. I can't do anything by myself. So we need to bond together and help people. Persistence is key. And many people are going to drop out and want to quit. You can't. You're going to get discouraged. And I'm going to end on Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There's a promise there. I've seen the harvest of harvest of people, my harvest, my healing. And I've seen a harvest of people healing and becoming healers. I've seen the joy, the joy and the honor of being like Christ and laying down my life and seeing others lay down their lives. In Tulsa, they're starting the wounded heart and healing is a choice. And, you know, Kayla's in here. I don't see Chris, but okay. Oh, there he is. <laughs> and that's exciting. Support them. Support them. They're wanting to be like Christ. Don't discourage it. Even if you're uncomfortable. Change lives are going to affect generations to come. Generations. My passion doesn't just come from my own healing. Not really. It's great. Believe me. I would be nothing, have nothing. I mean that. My passion comes from seeing other people's lives changed. It works. Robert Cox always says that Jesus oftentimes enters a person through their wounds. This doesn't just have to be an opening for Satan, right? Satan will go in that wound, won't he? Bam, he'll cause it. He'll send all kinds of people. My dad caused it. Look what he sent me in my future. Tons of abusers. Just opened it wider. That wound does not just have to be an opening for Satan. It can be an opening for God and for us to share God's love and have a healing effect for generations to come. Thank you. I'm sorry I went long.